When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls who, over the last two days, have dropped two games to the Miami Heat and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, for those of us who aren't necessarily pro-tank, these were, (laughs) I guess, unfortunate losses. Both the Heat and Wolves are below 500 teams and if the Bulls had gotten a pair of wins, their record right now would have been 7-13. and And considering all the injuries so far this season, that would have actually been a pretty good story. But instead, the team is now 5-15 and and looking at a very rough stretch of games coming up over the next two to three weeks. So here today to discuss those two losses to the Heat and the Wolves is someone who considers himself a legendary podcaster. You just have to ask him. He will surely tell you as much. It's Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you, sir? Doing great, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners. And I know you don't celebrate the holiday in Australia, but uh, happy Saturday to you. It's always good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for having me on. No problem, mate. No problem. I'm glad to, to have you on. Have, have you... Uh, look, I don't, I don't mean to offend you, but how many kilos have you put on over Thanksgiving? I'm, I'm led to believe you Americans literally chow down over the, over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> Insane amounts. So... We celebrated it with my father on the south side of Chicago on Thursday, and we had turkey that day. And then um, Saturday, Friday, we actually had what's called Mexican Thanksgiving. My, on my wife's side, her brother is married to uh, a, one of the best uh, Latina cooks in the, in the uh, city of Chicago. And Rose put together what we have every year, which is Mexican Thanksgiving, which is my favorite day of the year. Uh, since it is the great uh, Mexican food's the greatest food in the world. And, uh, that was fantastic. So I've been, let's just put it mildly lying around in pain for like the last eight or eight or nine hours. Um, (laughs) and not just because of the bulls. I was going to say, is that related to the bulls or not? (laughs) (laughs) No, pretty much all related to food. And as an aside, you know, um, watching the bulls, reading your article on Jabari Parker, et cetera. (laughs) So it's been a rough rough two days but I'm, I'm getting over it now i'm starting to feel like myself how you been man? i've been Doing okay well? i've been okay it's funny you say that because i've had a similar fe- uh, feeling we don't th- we, uh, celebrate thanksgiving down here down in australia but 
I've had a similar feeling watching the Bulls over the last two games. It's been it's been some frustrating basketball because for for the most part they've played pretty well. It's just seemingly one quarter that always does them in where they play well for a period of time, then all of a sudden they just have one terrible quarter, and that one terrible quarter ends up being the one that obviously haunts them and costs them the game against the Heat. It was that second quarter. The second quarters have generally been the Bulls' Achilles heels. But in, against the Minnesota Timberwolves, they actually played pretty well in that second quarter, but they sort of faded hard in that fourth quarter. So the Bulls couldn't stop Carl Anthony Towns in this game. And yeah, like I said, in that fourth quarter, it was just a complete disaster. Well, it hit me watching the Heat game. I thought the Heat game was a perfect example of a, a game where the Bulls would have most likely have won if they had Markin in the lineup or Portis in the lineup. Because if you look at quarter two, what basically happened in quarter two was Whiteside just took over defensively. And uh, there was no one to as a threat on, on the perimeter to really pull him out of the paint. Whereas if, if Markin was healthy or Portis was healthy, those two guys would at least track his attention and he couldn't afford it to just hang around the rim and block shots for the entire quarter yeah. and, and cause havoc defensively. So I, I think you would have seen a drastically different game. That's what happened basically is, you know, guy like Felicio doesn't, isn't a threat. Lopez isn't a threat. He just hung around the rim and affected every shot within 10 feet of the, of the rim. So, you know, those games would be vastly different if we were quasi healthy you know, tonight, another perfect example uh, with the loss um, this evening. I mean, uh, Blakeney, Ryan Archinato, Blakeney, Harrison are 436 over the last two games. I mean, so I think that Levine and Parker have played really well in, in Holiday to a certain extent for, them, for the last two games and just not getting any support out of those two. And having an infu- infusion of talent in marketing is going to drastically improve this team and I think it's going to put us in this weird abyss of, you know, it's not not good enough to get to the top of the lottery, but uh, potentially challenging for that eighth playoff seed. We're, we're too far deep in the hole to really get that realistically. So I think we might, I'm worried we're going to be in for a worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm envisioning as well. So I expect the Bulls to be in that sort of six to nine range when, once, once it all said and done in terms of worst records in the league. Um, so that's probably not where you, where you want to be at this point. You probably either want to be sort of challenging for a playoff spot or you want to be really bad to get one of these Duke kids, but it kind of seems like they're going to be nowhere in or in the middle of that really, which is kind of no man's land, but it's tough watching the Bulls at the moment because one of the few rare spots in, in terms of watching this team is watching Wendell Carter Jr. And I don't know why, but the refs seem to really be having having it out for this kid and I'm like I, I made this point the other day against the, when I recorded after the Suns game but it seems like the the refs really are having it out there for Wendell Carter Jr. Some of the calls that he's called on are legitimate but there's like one or two each game which end up costing him big time and he has to always sit early and, and against the Heat he had the six fouls he only played the 13 minutes so to your point before about Hassan Whiteside sort of going off in that second quarter. It's well, it's tough to do because he was doing that against Felicio and and, and Robin Lopez, and because Carter Jr. was on the floor. So even against the Minnesota Timberwolves, for most of the game he, he was sort of not in foul trouble, but in the last quarter there he picked up quite a few and ended up ended up the, um, with five fouls in that game. So it's it's one of those situations where it's tough to watch the Bulls at, at the moment regardless but then seeing someone like Wendell Carter Jr just get absolutely hosed by the referees over the last few games it, it's tough to watch 
I agree 100%. What, what actually hurts it more is when you pick up those one or two fouls, it, abs- it, it affects how you play for the rest of the game. Yeah. And you see that all the way, you know, from grammar school up, all levels of basketball. When you pick up two or three quick fouls, you have to play differently on the defensive end. Your hands are straight up. You can't reach as much. You can't take as many risks. And it really hurts your play going forward. It's just totally muted him and his talents. And it's it's really frustrating. I, th- this In the NBA, I always like to say this, it, this. If that was, you know, like Al Horford playing and, and he did the exact same plays, ran the exact same space that, that Wendell Carter did, there's no way he fouls out of that heat game. They just call it differently. And you don't see it in football. You don't see it in baseball. You don't see a different strike zone for the better hitters. I don't know why in the NBA they, it's constantly gone in this direction of giving the stars the benefit of the calls. But it, it's real. It happens. And it's my biggest issue with Fred. I just feel like that leads to a huge amount of frustration. Um, and when from a player, especially a young player, where you're getting kind of hosed by the rest. And if your coach doesn't say anything, uh, to Fred's credit, he did against the Heat. But if he doesn't say anything and is more aggressive in working the officials, it does lead to frustration from the players. And it, it leads to a little bit of a feeling like this guy doesn't have my back. Uh, you just need to do it for that reason alone. That's by far, to me, the best thing about Tom Thibodeau was that's what he did work the officials for every second of that game, you know, and I, even today I noticed Thibodeau was complaining about a call when they were up like, you know, 15 or whatever, two, two minutes left. He's still barking complaints about the official that that's, that's what you need, you know? Um, and I just, I think Fred's the worst potential mix for a young team when it comes to this, because you have the combination of a, a young team who's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And a coach who's not willing to fight for it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that. Like, look, I've been on record in defending Hoiberg on certain topics that we've discussed over the last few months. But look, it's hard for me to argue against that. He's just not demonstrative out there. And when he is, he still looks relatively calm. So I certainly see what you're saying there. But even though we're sort of having a bit of a gripe here against the refs and how they've handled Wendell Carter Jr., there was no way he was going to stop Carl Anthony Towns tonight anyway, who had 35 points, 22 rebounds, and 6 assists. He was absolutely dominant, and the Bulls just couldn't keep Towns and the Wolves in general off the glass tonight. 58-40 to 40 was the rebounding count. I think the Wolves mm-hmm. had 21 offensive rebounds. Carl Anthony Towns had 9. Dario Saric off the bench in 24 minutes had 9 himself. The Bulls um, only had 6 offensive rebounds for as a team, so they were completely destroyed on the glass, second chance opportunities. The the Wolves had a 16 point point differential on the offensive glass, which is pretty much the lead there in this game. So the Bulls just couldn't uh, match the uh, Wolves on the glass, and ultimately that turned out to be the difference in the game. Yeah, and I, I kind of I know we were joking around going back and forth, and I highlighted a play where our good friend Ryan Archinato did not box out uh, Saric, and Saric got an offensive rebound and put it back. So the Bulls are doing a lot of switching lately, and that, that's what happened. It got caught on in a switch. Ryan's alone on Saric, and, and a disaster happens. But I think a bigger picture here is for whatever reason, and I, I haven't really figured out why, I love it when I see teams crashing the borders like that very hard. And uh, Minnesota was doing it really well tonight, Sarge especially, Towns too. Shot goes up. You'll see a power forward or a center just tacking the rim. I don't know why. I don't think the Bulls have been doing it this year. I don't think they've done it at all in Hoiberg's in uh, tenure, and I, I really can't, even though they've had a couple good rebounding teams. Uh, I just, especially this year, I don't know what the, what the issue is. You don't see guys like streaking towards the rim 
trying to get an offensive rebound. I can't figure out why. What say you? Well, it's a couple things. If you want to play like a four out, five out sort of style of play, it's going to be harder, obviously, to hit the offensive glass. So some teams, by design, just try not to hit it, I guess. So that's one thing. But for a team like the Bulls as well, who are pretty bad in transition D, trying to, to hit that offensive glass and then having that, or I guess having that reputation of not being great on in, in getting back in defensive transition and getting back and hustling like like we know the Bulls tend to do, I sort of understand why the defense and why Hoiberg are maybe instructing just to almost give up on the offensive glass. Well, not give up, but just maybe not go as hard as like a team like Minnesota do, who clearly under Tibbs, and we saw that during his tenure here in Chicago, that the Bulls teams under Tibbs hit the offensive rebounding or hit the offensive glass rather quite hard. And, and obviously the Wolves did that tonight. So I think it's more just a, a combination of style of play, but also the fact that the Bulls just are bad in transition D. And if you're going to hit the offensive glass, then you have to be really good and really disciplined in terms of getting back on D. But the Bulls obviously are not that. Yeah, I think they've had a couple good teams. I have to go back and look at the stats. I could have sworn they had a couple good teams that were uh, offensive rebound via offensive rebounds. Yeah, when, when, when it was Lopez and Taj Gibson, I think when, in the three alpha days, that that was good. But, yeah, uh, I, that I, makes sense. Beyond you know, that, I'm, I'm not too sure. I'd have to check, but I got feel is I doubt it, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, we play a four out on the team that I coach, and to me, it's always easier to get re- offensive rebounds on a four out. Because your, your, your defense is so stretched, it's really difficult to box somebody out 20 feet away from the basket really effectively every time. So if you've got four guys that far away from the rim, one of these guys should be able to attack the rim and get in good position. It's, it's, it's a tough, I don't know. I, I, I think what you probably touched on is the answer. Sometimes the guys on the court just aren't made to get offensive rebounds and they're not good at it. And I think that's maybe the situation here. But, uh, you know, regardless, it's not the reason we're losing. The team is just such a uh, – we're just so – right now with rotation players being out and offensively challenged outside of Levine and Parker and Holiday on certain nights, it's just not going to happen. Yep, totally agree. But, I mean, let's talk about Jabari Parker, who had probably his best game as a Chicago Bull. I said that the other game went against the Phoenix Suns, but I put the caveat on it that we the Bulls were playing against the Suns, who are just a, an abomination of a team, maybe even worse than the Bulls. And, and they were they just had no rim protection at all, and it made, made life a lot easier for Parker, but for all of the Bulls. So I put that caveat on his performance last time around. But against the, the Wolves here on this occasion... I thought he was probably even better than he was against the Suns. 27, uh, 27.7 rebounds, four assists, shot the ball pretty well, or not pretty well, very well, 61%, hit three of his five threes. So he was doing a bit out there, and I kind of liked the way he was playing because he was playing more off ball, wasn't necessarily settling for the mid-range too. There were a couple positions where that occurred, but he was sort of moving without the ball, doing those all sort of little things well. Obviously, there's, there's going to always be one or two uh, def- defensive sort of plays which you can sort of focus in on and get frustrated over, which I tend to do. But I thought by and large, this is probably Jabari Parker's best game as a Chicago Bull. Well, he scored over 20 points in four of his last five games. And, you know, regardless of what people feel about the league, it's a scorer's league. You need to have that talent. He has that talent. His future is now with the Chicago Bulls. I've come to that realization. I think the, the uh, fan base has already turned on him. So I'm kind of relieved that, you know, hey, he's not going to be part of the part of the picture moving forward. I do feel that he would be an excellent player leading that second unit, and I think when everybody's healthy, the Bulls would be very good, potentially very good with him and Ryan. 
on that second unit doing great things. But I do and Holiday too. And, you know, if you can find a three who's better than Holiday, and either that's Hutch or maybe someone in the free agency, um, that's a great thing. But he's, his future clearly isn't with the Bulls. There's not a fit there. We have a four who's going to and four and a five for the next decade. So his best position's at the four. It's not going to be here. The question is, what what do you do with him? And I will say, if he's four out of five games, he keeps on playing the way he has in the last week or two. I have no doubts we're going to be able to get something for him. Uh, he there, there, there's just he's 23 years old. That's the biggest issue I had with your article. I love reading all you know. People disagree with me. I, you make a lot of good points. Not a great fit. I would counter, uh, and this is a point I've been making for a long time. And I was going back and forth with somebody. The email was telling me that Casey Johnson said something similar in the mailbag, and he's absolutely right. Bulls are in year two of a, a rebuild. They're not. It's not about fit. It's about acquiring as many talented young pieces as possible from from now until the next you know two or three years. Then you could worry about fit. But you need to get as much talent on the roster as possible, and then you trade away or you get these pieces and and, and, and figure it out from there. But what, why are we worrying about it? We need to get a, a good three, a competent three. No, you get the best player available right now. And he clearly was. That guy was there at 23 years old and a score, proven score. You get him. Someone else emailed me saying it was just like the same situation as uh, Dwayne Wade. And I'm, are we serious? Really? He's 23. That's the difference. He's 23 years old. He's on a one-year deal. Uh, to me, it was like a no-brainer to make that attempt. And now I think it's starting, to bear, it's starting to bear some fruit. He clearly is getting more comfortable with the team. He's getting used to his position. He's played really well over the most part, over the last two weeks. So uh, either we're going to get something for him or, you know, I, 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 but I don't agree also with the idea that you should just release him, which you, I think, suggested in your article or somebody told me that via email. I, I don't understand that move. No, Maybe could, I'm not necessarily I, suggesting that I should release him. Uh, I said that... I said in the article that, that, that they won't release him because that would just be a bad PR move. So there's no chance that that's going to happen. So I was just going through the the potential ways that he could be, I guess, eradicated off the roster. One of them is obviously trade. You think the Bulls could maybe get something for him. I'm not very confident about that. The other way is obviously get, just flat out getting rid of him. And I don't think that's going to happen either. So I wasn't suggesting that would be what would uh, take place, but... I think fit is important, Fred. Now, I understand that the Bulls need to sort of just take hits on guys, but when you've already got Larry Markin and Bobby Portis as your power forwards, bringing in another power forward, that's just complicating the issue far too much. So I do think fit is important. Now, with this, that's going to be sort of tested here once Markin comes back over the next week or two and Bobby Portis uh, comes back in, you know, maybe two to two to three weeks after that. This whole fit versus just taking on the best player available, that, that theory is going to be tested here because if Jabari is better suited as a power forward, which is something we've discussed quite a bit, then what the hell happens with the power forward and the front court rotation? You move Larry to the center in some lineups and you have Parker at the four and Markin at the five. That's what people do now. I mean, there's a lot of lineups where the five is smaller. You're basically playing a power forward at the five position, and then you have two guys that can hit the three that create runways for Dunn and Mark and, and uh, Dunn and Levine to, to rim rock. I mean, it sounds right? good in theory, but what if, what happens in the event that Markkinen isn't ready to be a five? You're pushing him to center, so that's the drawback that I see. That you're you're maybe advancing Markkinen to a position that he's not necessarily ready to play. So, to my point, but he's added twenty pounds of muscle. 
well, he did before he, he he did before he sprained his elbow. I'm not sure how many uh, bicep curls he's been doing when once he uh, <laughs> sort of popped out that or not popped out, but sprained that elbow there. So if Markinen is ready to go to five, then maybe it can work. Maybe the, the rotation can work in that sense. But if if Markinen isn't ready to be a center for 15 minutes a game, then this is when it's, this whole theory is going to get tested. So I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that fit isn't important at this at this point. I think it definitely is. Well, let's look at that game against Miami, quarter two. That's exactly what I, the Bulls would have probably done. A smart line, move would have been, let's put Markinen at the five, put Parker at the four, and then you immediately then mitigate what uh, uh, Whiteside's effectiveness because he's going to have to go out and guard 25 feet out. you got to guard Larry Markinen that far out. You can't just hang around the rim. And I, I think the more I'm watching the league, I'm just laughing at some of these lineups. But you know what? If that's the way it's going to be played, Larry Markin absolutely can give you major minutes at center. Bobby Portis can give you major minutes at center. You know, Lopez is a dinosaur. If he, he What does he do? Great. His best thing are awkward post moves. And that's why he's not playing much. Uh, Felicio, you know, Felicio is just a disaster. I think those three guys are pretty good. Uh, four guys, excuse me. Wendell Carter Jr., Portis, Markinen, and and Parker. That's a good front court rotation. Those four. That's what you should stick with, and everybody else can pound sand. I do feel like that's uh, an option, and I think you'll see that quite a bit. Uh, I think that you're going to see Markinen, Parker, Holiday, uh, Levine, and Dunn when it gets back, and I, I do think that's going to be effective. Well, I mean, time will tell. We'll see what happens. But obviously, we haven't necessarily seen it materialize on the floor just yet. Maybe you're right. Maybe Markkinen can handle those certain minutes, and maybe that does unlock the front court a little bit. But uh, hopefully, you can, because otherwise, the Bulls are going to be going to be really top heavy in that power forward spot without many small forward options, and obviously, not too many center options. Given that we're sort of riding off Lopez and Felicio here as players that aren't very useful in the modern NBA, but. What about Zach Levine? He had a pretty good game, I thought, tonight against against the Wolves. He led the team with 28 points. It's it's tough going out at the moment there for Zach Levine at the moment, given that the the team has has so few options around him. But he did have an efficient game: nine of seven, nine of seventeen shooting for his 28 points, eight rebounds, four assists, got to the line 12 times. So he's playing pretty well considering all the issues around him. And I, I, I do feel for him at times, but I think the fact that the, the, the team has sort of had so few options around him, his three-point shot has completely gone missing. And there's just no one who, who really has the ability to set Zach up for a catch-and-shoot three. So I don't, know, I don't know what the numbers are. I probably should have looked it up before stating this, but it feels like Levine basically never gets catch-and-shoot threes at this point. They're almost always off the dribble. And it's not surprising to see his three-point percentage plummeting because of that. No, I agree 100%. You know, he was 11 to 27 against the Heat, 1 to 5 from 3. I thought he's had a stretch of some very bad, inefficient games, but it's just because he's getting blitzed every time he touches the ball. I generally have a feeling about Levine is Levine attacking the rim, good. Levine settling for long twos and threes, bad. And uh, right now, this, this team is not able to, you know, open up runways for him. It's just a fact. Parker hasn't been hitting the three at a great rate. You know, Holiday's been shooting pretty well from three, but uh, no one still, I don't believe, is really paying a, t- a ton of attention to him. I guess that might change in the near future if he keeps up, keep this up. And he's definitely played well on some nights. But overall, Carter's just been, to me, a little bit disappointing from three. You know, obviously he's a rookie. You can't expect a lot from a 19-year-old. I do think he's going to 
get much better at shooting the three going forward. When marketing comes back, that's the whole key. When marketing comes back, it's going to open up everything for him. I think you're going to see him improve significantly. My only concerns are, you know, Levine's got to realize down the stretch in the fourth quarter, I want this to be Markkinen's team. I envision uh, Markkinen as a top 10 player. He's got to be the alpha in this team and then uh, have Levine kind of work off of him. I think that's the best way to maximize what the Bulls can be and have Wendell Carter Jr. as a do-everything-else type of guy, setting great picks, passing well, uh, you know, rebounding, playing defense. That's where I think the Bulls, I do believe the Bulls can be a, ch- a title challenger just with those three as the best players, Wendell Carter Jr., Markin, and Levine. That's how high I am on, on Markin, and, and I know I'm on an island on that one. Uh, but uh, I do feel like that's really going to be great. So I expect to see Levine improve quite a bit as soon as Laurie comes back, because right now all the bigs are hanging around the rim and not really running out, uh, not, not um, excuse me, uh, helping out on every one of his drives. So you'll see him play a lot better. Yeah, I think so. But not to be the wet blanket here, but I think we probably need to temper expectations of what we assume marketing can do straight off the bat. I mean, he's coming back from an injury that's kept him out eight to 10 weeks here. He's got a sprained elbow on his shooting arm. So whilst I expect the Bulls to eventually be much better with just having marketing's presence out there, I'm sort of just want to temper expectations as to how good he will be straight away. Because I think... I think what I'm sensing, at least, is this fan base is really yearning for some of these players to really get back done. Mark and Portis to really just uh, boast this or beef up rather this uh, this second unit, uh, and by pushing other players down the rotation, I, I think that's why the second quarters have just been, you know, just been a huge problem all season. So I think the fact that we've watched so much bad basketball that we're really keen to see these players come back so much so that we may be expecting too much of them too soon. So. Whilst I don't necessarily uh, disagree with your wider point, I just almost want to take a conservative approach here and think maybe it'll be a little tough for Markkinen sort of as he works his way back into the rotation uh, once he does return in, say, the next week or so. Yeah, I do. I want to get your opinion on, like, I I still hear people talking about the tank, and and I agree. Like, ideally, it would be great if we we had a top three pick. There's three great players out here, but how's that going to work? Like, when Markkinen comes back, and Dunn comes back, do you really believe this team's going to be terrible? How can you possibly, how can anyone possibly come to that conclusion by seeing us win, you know, five games with this? You know, basically, uh, Levine Parker and, you know, let's hope for whatever, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., right? Who's only playing limited minutes because he's in foul trouble so much. It's like, I, I just think when you get marketing back, it's so clear to me that this team is not going to be terrible. I don't understand what how that would work out. Like, are you going to limit minutes? Uh, we're going to sit guys. Is that is that really what we're we're going to do? Because I don't think that's smart either. I think that to me, like the better strategy is almost if why have we been saving all this cap space to go after free agents? Free agents aren't going to come here if we're going to be terrible. If we're going to be the Knicks, we should try to get as many wins as possible, and let's try to get that playoff spot. Because if we do get that playoff playoff spot, I think we're going to be able to do some interesting things in free agency. And I, 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 a lot depends on, ask yourself, do you feel that Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr. and Levine can be the three core players on a title team? If you don't believe that, then you should be cheering for a tank. But let's see how Laurie looks when, when he comes back. Because I do think that is good enough for a title team and building around those three. But that's just because I think, you know, Laurie is so, he, he's the kind of guy you, you tank for. We already have him. We don't need to tank anymore. What say you? 
I don't think it's a bad scenario. Obviously, if they end up with one of these Duke guys, let's just call them, let's just obviously simplify it by saying that. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the tank because I, I do somewhat agree that it's too early to be thinking about that just yet. But look, it's obviously not a bad situation to end up with one of those three guys. That That's that's the, ups, uh, the upside here. Now, if it doesn't happen, it obviously makes things a little bit more difficult to, to, to maybe improve the team. But to your point, the fact that, that the Bulls are sort of running or trying to play this cap space game, you're you're probably more likely to be a success in that in that sort of game if you're actually a decent team rather than one that's sort of dwindling towards the bottom year after year. Absolutely. So I get yeah. I get I get that perspective, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say I, I would be disappointed by ending the season with Zion Williamson. So uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing to me, Fred. Is that who you want? Let's say we get the number one pick overall, and you get Zion, who I, I just have such a hard time. I mean, there's no doubt he's one of the most interesting athletic players I've ever seen. It's insane, you know. I, I'd say Charles Barkley is like the only guy who comes to mind of someone who looks so. What's the word I'm trying to say? It's just he's just. It's almost like a cartoon watching him play. Yeah, he's it's just not so human. big. Yeah, it's not. It's it's strange in a way, you know. Like, but I also do. There is a big hole in this game that he can't hit a shot, and that's not good for today's NBA. Like, that's a big thing. You know, to me, like, I, I get in these conversations about the Sixers. To me, there's nothing that could not be – the Sixers couldn't solve if Simmons was able to hit a three-pointer occasionally. He just, he just can't hit a shot. And that's what – that's why they're going to cap out at three. You know, probably top out at three in the East. Uh, if he can't be at least a threat from the three-point line, they're always going to be limited when it comes to playoff time. And I don't know. I love Zion. I mean, there's no doubt that we should all be happy if we get him. But does he? Is he a three? Do you see him as a three? Look, I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it matters. I think there's obviously things to consider with Zion. The, the, but I, I think the reality is, there's just we haven't seen a guy like this ever before. So it's kind of hard to say what he will or won't be, how he will fit, how he won't fit, all these sorts of things. Like he just may change how your, the entire identity of what your team is. So he is a complete anomaly in that sense. We're not like, I mean, obviously it's a lot easier to see how RJ Barrett or Cam Reddish fit into this sort of squad. They could fit nicely on the perimeter straight away. But if Zion over the years sort of proves himself to be that far ahead of those two, then I think you just, you just do it and you try to make it work somehow. I don't think it's completely, uh, it's it's not completely uh, completely un, or implausible rather to think that he couldn't fit, but I'm not sure, mate. Look, like, like I said, I don't want to talk about tanking too much because like we we sort of about we mentioned it before. I don't see the Bulls being in that top three position. So unless something crazy happens, it's unlikely that they're going to be at that point. But I wanted to talk about a little bit here about Derek Rose, who obviously mm. a former Bull playing the Bulls. You're going to see a lot of former Bulls out there, but Derek was the one. Or is the one I guess this season who's been really performing, and it's almost come out of out of the blue here because, look, post his Bulls career, he's put up numbers. He put up numbers with the Knicks. I think he averaged eighteen points per game, and when you look at that number just in, in isolation, it seems good. But he was never efficient. He wasn't really playing very well. His, his shot wasn't good at all. But now with the Wolves, not only is, is he scoring the ball, but his three point shot actually looks legitimate. So. I wanted to just to give Derek a bit of a shout out here because not only is he sort of reviving his career in Minnesota, but he's become an efficient scorer all of a sudden and he's doing it on on the back of his three-point shot, which I did not see coming at all. No, I, I do disagree a little bit that we didn't see it coming. He was 
absolutely fantastic in the playoffs last year. I thought he had some really nice moments with uh, Minnesota. But did you ever you think know, you'd have a Derrick Rose 50-point game this season? No, no, definitely not that. And definitely not, like, look at tonight. You know, he's 31 minutes, 22 points, 9-13 from the field, 2-4 of four from the three-point line. No, no, absolutely not. You know, one turnover, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And and uh, I'm happy for him, you know. And I will say, I, when I, the Bulls Outsiders auditions, I was talking about this. I was just thinking in my head, what a great story it would be. If next year Derrick Rose joined our team as the backup point guard. Now, of course, I was kind of like at the time talking about the Big Red Leviathan and the Bulls winning seven seed and and then going on to seven title next year. But think about the story of the Bulls uh, bringing Derrick Rose in as a backup point guard and winning their seven title with him on the roster. Just that as a valuable member of the team. Just that idea. I mean, what a story that would be. And I honestly do feel that he would be a great target as a backup point guard next season for for the beloved Bull. Assuming assuming Dunn proves himself and, and we have enough confidence in him, what do you think of that possibility? Well, it's funny because I had a tweet out this morning suggesting that the Bulls in free agency, or at least I was thinking about free agency already, and given how bad the Bulls have been, you can sort of excuse me for that, but... I was looking at it and I was looking at the available point guards and I noticed Spencer Dinwiddie was available. Now we know he was a brief bull during, um, well, he was a brief bull during his, his career, I should say, but I wouldn't mind sort of bringing back Spencer Dinwiddie, but at the same time, if that doesn't happen and Dunn does prove to be that starting point guard, then I could see that Derrick Rose situation where he could be that, that spark plug off the bench and could really run that that backup unit and he I guess he's been playing a little bit more shooting guard than point guard yes. for Minnesota so that's something to consider now as well whether his career is more transitioned to the two than the one so maybe you would still need a backup point guard but I'm not against the idea of bringing Derek back but I, I, look I, I'm not sure maybe he just wants to stay in Minnesota now given how good things have worked for him there yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think we're there's a good chance Tibbs this will be his last year there, and obviously he has a special relationship with Tom. So who knows if he'll want to be there if Tom's gone next year? Who knows if the new coach or organization will want him there? I mean, I think he's gonna they're gonna have a hard time uh, it, it letting him walk though. If he keeps on playing at this level, he's clearly a a fan favorite there. He's been awesome. the The issue with Derek is always the same thing. It's like even after he had the fifty point game, within a week he was off you know, missing games due to injury. And it's just so unfortunate for him. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy and kind of thrive in this type of Jamal Crawford role going forward. Cause I wish him nothing but the best. I don't understand the hatred or animosity towards Derek Rose. When you get down to it, his career here in Chicago was a disappointment because of injury and it's not his fault. You know I mean? I, I just don't understand. Just the, the, I, I mean, I, I do understand some people, their points they're making. It all comes down to, he sat out the whole year. That's what it comes down to. And that really rubbed people the wrong way, especially in Chicago, who obviously do not like it if you're not given fourth effort. Uh, so the and it's it's an unforgivable offense. But, you know, I think that's a if you just let it go, you know, that's a, that's what I'd like to say. You know, obviously, I don't know. Do, do you feel that's the reason I what do you feel the reason that he's so disliked in Chicago in, in some quarters? Yeah, I mean, it, it is the quitting thing. People have the perception that he's quit, obviously, and, and it's completely justified, I think, as to why people feel that way. But I think it's also the reverse is completely justified. And I think at, 
it's probably part of the reason and probably the the source of why this fan base in terms of the and uh, you know how we're always at opposed on certain topics how there's always this faction or this large 50 50 split between ideals of, of of what fans sort of think about this squad I, I think the Derek Rose situation the injury in sort of 2012 that that sparked the whole thing and everything's just flown on from there so I get I get both sides I, I don't necessarily have a strong view either way I still have uh, I still have, I guess, a connection with Derek Rose, but I completely understand why someone may feel otherwise and why they feel strongly about it and, you know, why there are still fans from Chicago who still want to see this guy do well and still would love to see him back in Chicago. So I completely get both sides, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy to see him sort of rekindling his career in Minnesota with Tibbs, with Taj, and obviously uh, Luol Deng now in there as well. It's it's kind of see uh, cool to see that all happening away from Chicago, but at the same time, I'm just glad for Derek that it is occurring. He's obviously been pretty damn amazing, but... Amen, point. 100%. Just really quick, though, I do want to mention, I saw your tweet on Taj. I agree 100% on that one, too. I would love to see that guy back in Chicago. And as an aside for anyone who didn't, who's not in Chicago, I was listening to the radio broadcast, and Chuck Tversky brought up an interesting story that Taj had the exact same ankle surgery that Denzel Valentine is about to undergo. Yeah, and Taj had specifically stated that 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 surgery saved his career, and he reached out to Valentine to tell him, "Hey, this will help you." You know, just give him encouragement, word of encouragement. I mean, the guy is such a class act. There are a few players that ever went through this town that I think more embody the city and what everything we hold dear uh, better than Taj Gibson has. And and I would absolutely love to see him back in Chicago as a backup. Yeah, I totally agree. Role players, for whatever reason, they're the guys that I'm drawn to more so than the stars. That's why Kirk Heinrich and Joakim Noah are my boys. But right there is Taj Gibson for me. And I absolutely love Taj Gibson for the reason why you just pointed out. He's not even with the Bulls anymore, but he's still reaching out to Denzel Valentine, providing leadership away from the Bulls and sort of mentioning this is what he did, this is what he should do, and passing on that information to Denzel. So... Taj is just the ultimate team guy, and if you just watch Wolves games, not necessarily when they're playing against the Bulls, but just watching a Wolves game, you'll hear the Wolves uh, announcers just raving about the kind of person Taj Gibson is, so I would love to see him back in Chicago, and Fred, I think maybe, if, you know, you don't bring Jabari Parker back, you've got that extra cap space, maybe you could sign <laughs> Derek Rose and uh, Taj Gibson, maybe a couple of other former Bulls as well while we're at it. What do you reckon? There you go. I I'd be happy with that one. I'd be happy. Hey, I'm on record. I, I don't think Jabari is a good fit for him going forward. Uh, I mean, it's just not it doesn't make sense to pay a lot of money for any four or five when uh, we have uh, Larry Markin and, and um, you know Wendell Carter Jr. going to man that spot for next decade. So I think we're all in agreement on that. No, definitely. And, and look, while we're talking about about Jabari, I thought that would be a perfect segue to talk about one of your other favorite players on this team, Justin Holiday. And he's actually had a pretty two-game sample here. Rebounded the ball well. He's, he had five assists today against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, obviously, didn't shoot that well against the Wolves today, five of 18. But I guess some of that you could be excused on a back-to-back. back-to-back. Not not many scoring options beside, besides Parker and Levine there. So, it was tough going for a holiday. But even though his shot was off, he still con- contributed with the 11 boards and five assists, as I mentioned before. But against the Heat as well. 27 points, 13 rebounds. What what have you made of Justin Holiday? One of your favorites of the last two games for it. 
It's funny you mention that because I was going back and forth with our mutual friend Sylvie on direct message on Twitter today, and he had the same thing. Uh, he pointed out Justin Holiday has played 81 minutes of basketball this weekend. My question: What's the point? <laughs> I love that. That's what I say. What's the point to everything? He's not part of the future. You're not getting anything in a trade. That's the one part I kind of disagree now. Like, you know, after listening, I will admit when you have good points and you brought up the point that last year, yeah, we weren't able to get anything for him, but now he's on a on a, a contract that's obviously, uh, you know, expiring. I do. I am starting to believe we could get something for him. You know, like there are a couple areas where you can, might be able to send Justin Holiday, uh, especially if there's any more injuries. You know, New Orleans, right? Wouldn't that be a good fit there? Yeah, I mean, there's, say there's you. a lot of spots where yeah, you're starting to believe that, but I think we both agree Justin Holiday's not in the future of this team. I don't think so. It doesn't right? really make he's sense. He's not on the team next year, right? I doubt yeah, so, it. So I mean, well, that's let's get let's get into it really quick since you're bringing him up. I I, I will admit I, I was probably a little bit too harsh on him this year. Just a little bit. He's really come. He's come around and <laughs> had some nice performances. He also I find him maddening because I I do feel like he's inconsistent. Like he'll have a great game, no doubt he's had a lot of those, and then the next game, you know, he's two for ten or whatever, and uh, you know, below slightly below average defense. Uh, not a great rebounder, not a great passer. You know, he's allergic to the paint. But like he's not on the team next year. When Hutch gets back, I want to see Hutch playing more. Do you concur? Do you want do you you want to see that move starting to happen where? You're giving the young guy minutes, or do you feel like, hey, maybe we should still be playing to win? So a couple of things. So you brought up what's the point of, of Justin Holiday at the moment. I guess the point of Justin Holiday at the moment is so we don't have to watch Antonio Blakeney play basketball. So that's a pretty good point <laughs> to me. I'm pretty happy for Justin Holiday to play a whole damn game if it means I don't have to watch too many minutes of Antonio Blakeney jacking up crap. So that's the first point. But I look, assuming Hutchinson is earning his minutes, and is worth 20, 25 minutes a game, then I definitely want to see him play more basketball. I don't think Justin Holiday should be top 10 in minutes as he is currently. I mean, that's kind of insane, but it sort of does speak to the Bulls' issue on the wing there. They don't really have many options. Obviously, Valentine has been ruled out for the season. Jabari hasn't necessarily played much small forward at all. Now, the Bulls don't really have a ton of options with Hutchinson out now the last couple of games with back spasms as well. So I kind of get why Justin Holiday is playing a ton of minutes here. But once the team is fully healthy, let's say, and who knows if they ever will be, but assuming Chandler Hutchinson can get back and is actually worth playing 20 to 25 minutes a game, which I don't think is the case every game. I think he has some spurts of minutes, you know, a seven minute block here and there where he plays really well. But I'm not sure if he's justified thus far that he's worth more than 15, 20 minutes a game at this point, but maybe as the season progresses, that changes. And if it does change, then certainly at that point, I'm, I'm all open to Hutchinson playing more minutes. Overhaul there. That's fine with me. Well, I think the key is, and you kind of you kind of alluded to it a little bit, you need marketing to come back in order for Hutch to really shine. Because there's, there's too little offense on the team that's currently constituted that you're dependent on that position for offense. But when marketing comes back, you're going to have more options there. Um, I, I think it's going to be – and you, you're, you're going to be able to slide Parker at the three. He did it for Milwaukee against certain matchups. I understand not all, but for certain matchups, you'll be able to give some time to Parker at the three. I just feel like that's the key for Hutch is when marketing's out there – uh, there won't be as much pressure on him to provide offense. And I think that will be beneficial to him in his performance because you'll have a guy who 
I think will be an elite talent in the league offensively. So, uh, and you'll see him play a lot better. Regardless, you know, Holiday's not in the future plans. I think I'd like to trade him as soon as possible. You brought up that point that he's on pace to break the shatter the Ben Gordon record, which in my <laughs> opinion is a good enough reason to trade him as soon as possible. I do feel that we're we're both simpatico on Blakeney. We gotta celebrate these moments where we're both see guy eye to eye. I don't know if you heard the last bullseye where I had Marcus Couch on and that's one of his favorite players. Yeah, I'm shocked. I, I I'm heard shocked. That. that was bad. <laughs> I'm shocked at the guys who love. There are tons of people I respect and love who are in love with Blakeney, and I don't understand it. I just don't see it. He's to me, you know. I understand having that hunger, need requiring that need to shoot to get to the show. But now you're in the show. Hey, dude, let's let's, let's you know dial it back a, a dozen. You know, I mean, my goodness, it's unbelievable how that guy chucks. Oh, he's terrible. I, I did not like it. Look, he's probably a great kid, but I just don't like the way he plays the, the game of basketball at all. He was 0 for 6 against the uh, the Miami Heat, a Heat rather, 2 for 7 against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So he hasn't been very efficient at all, but it's just the, the shots that he does take. But it's funny because whenever I see your podcast come up into my iTunes feed, I'm, I'm always straight on it, Fred. I'm a big fan, as you know. But whenever oh. you have a guest on, on the Chicago Bullseye, or when, even when you do the big red bus there with Doug Tonus, and and that person, whether it's Doug or a guest, happens to make a point that I disagree with, and you happen to be making the point that I actually agree with. I get frustrated in that. <laughs> so I heard I heard Marcus Couch making the point about how Blakeney was, you know, one of his more favoured players, and the fact that he tries on defense, and he's he's a guy that could sort of lead the team off the bench and be that spark plug scorer and i was just shaking my head because one i didn't agree with marcus at all but two he was forcing me to agree with you so it's just a double <laughs> negative hey we'll say uh as an aside did, did you hear the last big red bust with uh, the great one doug tonus i did of course did you hear that rpm evisceration i did which to me, did you i'd like your opinion on that and for anybody who hasn't listened to it, it's part one of the last uh, big red bus. I think it's about seven minutes and 25 seconds in. And uh, in general, Doug says it's a stat that's based on causation uh, or correlation, not causation. I'd just like your opinion on that. Well, look, I, I touched on RPM in my last show and obviously you clearly haven't listened to that. I so haven't thanks, yet. Well, thanks for that, Fred. I, I will. <laughs> you know I listen to all your shows. I talk about well, I just gave you all this praise and you haven't even listened to my last episode. How dare you? But... um. <laughs> I did hear I hear Doug, I hear, I I did hear Doug go off on that, and I could sort of see his point. But the entire point of RPM in general is is not a ranking tool. You don't look at it and say a player is four hundred and thirtieth in the NBA, therefore he is the or four hundred and thirtieth in RPM, therefore he is the worst player in the NBA. So it's it's not a counting stat in that sense where you see players ranked one through four hundred and thirty, and that's necessarily where they rank in the league. So that caveat needs to be applied on it, and I think once you do apply that caveat and and don't necessarily use it to compare or rank players, then I think it's fine, and and it's one of those stats that improves over time once there is more data coming and filtering through. So. I think you just got to take it for what it's worth and apply those sort of caveats on it. And if you do, then I don't think it's necessarily one of those topics that, get, that you necessarily have to get too worked up about it. I just found it amusing that Jabari was last because of all the things we've discussed. But I did understand why Doug sort of took exception to it. And I kind of get his point of view, but uh, I think if you look at the stat and how to apply it a little bit differently, then maybe 
maybe it's um not a big not a big real issue I'd say. Well, in Doug's defense, he did state it's the best defensive stat he thinks that's available, which I probably agree with. And then he also stated that uh, even the people who defended said you need more of a body of work, which I agree with wholeheartedly. Like to yeah. make any, and that's the problem is people are you know of course tweeting me making conclusions out of Jabari Parker's the worst player in the NBA due to the RPM stat. That's basically what I got for about you know two straight weeks in emails and tweets. Uh, or not two straight weeks, ever since it came out. You know, every day I'm getting one. Hey, did you see this? Yeah, I've seen it about 10,000 times. Thanks. <laughs> no, fair enough. And look, I mean, I also heard Doug close the show by saying, you know, give Bull, uh, Big Red Bus a you know, five-star review, subscribe, do all that sort of stuff on iTunes. But then he did also say, if you do happen to think it's only worth one, one star, then the show is now called Bulls HQ. So he was taking a stab at this show. So I've got, I've got, I've got to have a quiet word to the old Doug, uh, Doug Thonis there, and and just uh, um, have a quiet word to to Doug, and just just see what he's asking here, or what, what he's he always there. he always talks highly of you, no matter what. I compl- <laughs> no matter what I, I, I complain think, about. I think the world of Doug. So I'm just joking around here, but Fred, before we get away, we've talked enough about these two losses: the the loss of the Wolves and the Heat. I want to I want to end on a good note. They're all, they typically are always are a, a fun time when I ask you these questions, but well, not not ask you a question. I ask you for a story. So I want to close this podcast with another story from Fred Pfeiffer. Sure. So of course this will go back to the band. So I did get a couple emails after my appearance on Bulls HQ about <laughs> how we came up to, with the name Tight Pants Jimmy. So, so, so which band are we talking about? We're, we're talking Tights Pants Jimmy this time? So, uh, yeah, so I was... Exactly. Tights Pants Jimmy was a Japari Parker of cover bands. That was the band where we did the same song for four time, in four different sets. We played the same song. <laughs> so the first set was great, and the rest was awful, as you, as you stated. So I've been in three bands. The first band wanted tension in college. Uh, <laughs> wanted my band tension. In college. And then Giggle Water was after college, and that was the most successful iteration. And then Type Pants Jimmy was the final band. And Type Pants Jimmy, the name I got Type Pants Jimmy from was uh, in Vegas. We I went to Vegas every year for about twenty years, um, from when the time I was in college to out of college. And then anyhow, to make a long story short, I always uh, before I was married, I always had a code name. All the guys that I went with, we never were our actual names. So I was Jimmy on one of those trips. Because you're a big time celebrity and you just wanted no one to know where you were sort of staying, staying <laughs> yeah, in which hotel. Is that why? <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm sure if people listen to this who've gone to Vegas, they just want to go have fun and not, you know, have a fake name and alias. An alias right. in Vegas is it, as I call it. And I wrote a song called Alias in Vegas, which I maybe will p- play on one of my later podcasts. One of the original songs we did in Tight Pants Jimmy. Anyhow, <laughs> so unfortunately, I had gained a little weight. And uh, I went from a size 32 to a 34, maybe even pushing a 36 in the jeans at the time. And uh, I took the wrong, all all the pairs of pants I took were the wrong size. They were my old size, 32. So these pants were so skin tight and and looked so ridiculous on me that uh, when we went to this one establishment, uh, a woman came up to me and started a conversation with me. And then I was uncomfortable and she said, what's wrong with you? I'm like, these pants are too tight. And she looked at them and, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, they are, they are far <laughs> too tight. You know who oh, you are? God. You're tight pants, Jimmy. And that's how the name started from there. And unfortunately, after about a two hour conversation, 
she ended up being a lady of the night, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was the worst part about it. After wasting my time, she uh, said, uh, I, "Honestly, you would have never guessed it. You would have never guessed it in a million years that she was a lady of the night. She seemed like a nice girl." <laughs> she she goes like, "Whatever, I'll, you know." would you have this and now we'll go upstairs. And I'm like, Oh, you know, just like, I felt like I punched in the face. And I was like, I was about to uh, ask you the same question as a joke, you know, like pretending that I was a prostitute. Um, but, uh, <laughs> do you get it? Do you get the joke? No. Yeah. Yeah, great one. <laughs> Very good one. Anyhow, we went our separate ways. I'll never, that's, that was pathetic. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I never saw her again, of course. Um, but it was interesting. So that's how the name came. Anyhow, <laughs> let's go back in time a little bit to the wanted tension. This is a good story. Uh, so you're a Metallica fan, right? Yeah, of course. You remember the Black Album when that came out? I, I remember it. Not the best, but yeah, album. go on. I like that album. I thought it was an underrated album. It's, it's a very good. Not, not great, Enter, but good. Enter Sad Man, great song. So fast forward about four years. We're in the middle of grunge. And I was initially resistant to grunge. I still wanted to rock out. And we were in this band and we had a show in college at the U of I and we did nothing but like rock, like Guns N' Roses. And we opened with Enter Sandman, all hard stuff. And people loved it. It was a huge hit. But in that type of music, you need to have a good drummer. It's very key for that type of hard rock. So anyhow, we had this great guy who's a good drummer. (sighs) I'm not going to embarrass him with his name. We'll just say his name is Pete. Uh, and Pete was in a fraternity and right before the gig, he had had something like 21 shots. And then I, I can't remember what the, the, the thing was like a 21 shots in 24 hour period, some insane amount. He shows up at our gig totally out of his mind. So we're, I'm like, gosh, can you play? He's like, yeah, I can play. We're walking into the, to the facility to show. And he jumps up cause he's pumped up and hits his head in the doorway, like the, the top of the door and knocked himself out. As we're about to walk on stage. <laughs> so now, we walk on stage. He's out. Uh, knocks himself out. So I walk up. Hey, you know, we were going to do it Sandman. We don't have a drummer. Anybody play drums? We asked anybody in the crowd to play drums. So guy, said, <laughs> guy, guy said he could play drums. About 500 people there. Walks up on stage. Starts playing. And it was the worst. I, I, I mean, the guy clearly never played drums. So I called it off after about 30 seconds. All right, you're out of here. And then we did Simon and Garfunkel. So you were doing live auditions for a drummer <laughs> whilst you were meant to be playing on a concert. Wanted Tensions, second show ever after a massively <laughs> successful first show. The second show ever, our drummer knocked himself out walking into the room where we were playing. So I did a, a whole... With a whole crowd of people, asked someone to come up and play drums. He was terrible. I fired him in 30 seconds. And then we did Simon and Garfunkel songs for the rest of the show. <laughs> I'm, starting to, I'm starting to realize why you ended up in sales and not as a, um, I mean, <laughs> why your rock career didn't necessarily take off. It's all becoming clearer now. The good news is, the good news is people love, like, Cecilia. We did Cecilia. People like that. Then we did... Uh, um, uh, for Emily, wherever I may find her, everybody looked that one up. It's a good song. The problem is, though, is like, you know, again, I've had this problem. The crowd, it wasn't expecting to hear Simon Garfunkel. They wanted to hear Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Poison and that type of stuff. So, you know, we turned it on them a little bit and it worked out. But um, what's the moral of the story? Duh. 
I don't, I don't think there is one, but <laughs> there, <laughs> the moral of the story is, is, is make sure you get a good drummer before you actually get on stage. I don't, he was a great drummer. He just knocked, he knocked himself out on the way to stage. Oh my Lord. That was a good story. I thought a very good one. And it's all true. Well, I mean, thank you for sharing as always. Sure. I, I do appreciate it. And a couple of things with the tight pants, Jimmy one. I mean, Firstly, I am a size 32, so my life sort of flashed before my eyes, eyes there, as you sort of mentioned. You jumped up from a 32 to a 36. I'm sitting here going, oh, crap, is that going to happen to me anytime soon? But um, hopefully not. But um, look, I, I do appreciate, as always, story time with Fred Pfeiffer. And given the way the last couple of sort of Bulls games have gone, I think we needed a bit of laugh. And it's sort of apt as well, Fred, now that it's Frank, uh, Thanksgiving. But I'm tipping your, t- your yeah. uh, tight pants, Fred, at the moment as well. So uh, perfect story selection. Thank you, brother. Yeah, tight pants, Freddy, I am right now for at least another two or three days. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to right, hit the, I'll let you hit the gym. We'll work off, the, off some of that uh, Thanksgiving turkey. But I appreciate you jumping on as always. And we'll talk again next week, mate. Sounds good, brother. Have a good one, man. Ah, tight pants, Jimmy. That was a good one, folks. I hope you're enjoying these stories with Fred. I definitely am, but um, he's a, he's a crazy, crazy man. One that I um, <laughs> one whose company I thoroughly enjoy. Oh, old Fred. But uh, that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode of Bulls HQ. Hope you enjoyed this one. Hopefully, it was a bit more entertaining than a couple of these Bulls games that we've sort of had to sit through over the last few days. But we'll be back again very shortly. I'm not sure if I'll do a midweek show or not, but be on the lookout for that where you typically find all your podcasts. In the meantime, however, you can follow the show on Twitter at BallsHQPod. Follow me at MKHoops on Twitter as well. And if you get a chance, give us a five-star review. Even subscribe to the show on your podcasting platform. I really do appreciate that. So until next time, this has been BallsHQ. Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.